This podcast is sponsored by Zelle Travel Group. Celebrating 50 years of strong partnerships across the airline industry, Zelle provides interline and reaccommodation services, along with premium travel experiences that take you beyond your destination. Visit Zelle.com. So if you've been listening to The Lounge since its inauspicious start last summer, you've probably heard the phrase race to the bottom. Seth, tell us again what that is. Well, fuel prices are falling. That's good news for airlines. But airfares are also falling. That's bad news for airlines. For most, fuel prices falling faster than airfares, and so they're more profitable. And for U.S. carriers, that's largely been the story for the past few quarters. Revenues have fallen, but costs have thankfully fallen faster. Case in point was Delta's first quarter, which we discussed in last week's show. Delta had a 1% drop in revenues, along with a 12% drop in operating expenses, and that resulted in one of its best first quarters ever. But you might say one airline is doing it by winning a race to the top. We're talking about Southwest Airlines, which saw operating costs actually increase 6% in the first quarter, but they also saw revenues increase 9%. The result was a stunning 20% operating margin, better than Delta and best in 35 years at Southwest. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President at Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about Southwest's tremendous quarter. We'll also talk about how Alaska Airlines did even better than Southwest. United and American Airlines are feeling revenue strains. Meanwhile, Hawaiian is cruising along without a care in the world. Must be something about life in Honolulu. It's all coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. It seems like Southwest misread the memo. Cost and revenues are supposed to be dropping, but for Southwest, both are rising. Seth, please leave me of my bewilderment. Why does Southwest get to live in its own universe? Well, part of it's just uh, you know what you might say is almost a technicality relative to let's say Delta. You know, Southwest is, is growing a lot more rapidly. Okay, so uh, you mentioned that nine percent increase in revenues, very impressive by any standard. But they did increase their ASM capacity by by nine percent last quarter as well. So flat unit revenues essentially. Uh, you know, Delta simply didn't grow like that, and so you know when you saw their revenues drop just one percent that was just about as impressive you know, in terms of why the costs are rising for southwest i mean really that's a lot to do with just bad fuel hedges they lost almost 300 million dollars last quarter on wrong way hedges delta had taken their hit earlier a year earlier they lost like a billion dollars on bad hedges uh, and they spent some money kind of unwinding them earlier on you know southwest if it didn't have that issue its costs would have looked a lot better. It does have some cost headwinds going forward, uh, you know, labor costs and so forth. But yeah, basically a, a story of growth. You know, hence the the increased revenues uh, despite all the other pressure and, and the bad fuel hedges. Although, uh, you know, to be clear, the revenues were impressive, as I said, by any standard. You know, Southwest operates in the U.S. almost exclusively a domestic uh, U.S. airline, and even its few flights to the near abroad, you know, to Cancun or wherever, it's all U.S. point of sale. So all the that severe revenue pressure around the world uh, that other U.S. carriers, uh, Delta and especially American United, are exposed to, you know, Southwest doesn't really feel any of that. So very, very impressive even relative to those to those little caveats and asterisks that you have to put next to those numbers. As you mentioned, Southwest grew ASMs by 9% in Q1. That seems fast, but in Airline Weekly, we did not suggest that was a big concern. Why? 
Well, uh, you know, first of all, Southwest has, has kind of gotten back to their traditional model of growing down the unit costs. You know, this is what they always did for most of their history. They just kept growing very rapidly. Uh, you know, and their revenues were, you know, were, were never anything that set the, the industry on fire because they were growing and, and hiring lots of new workers at the bottom of the, the wage scale. Uh, you know, they just have very competitive costs. And Southwest, uh, you know, although they're not the, the very lowest cost carrier overall on a stage length adjusted basis, you know, on, on those short haul flights that they really uh, specialize in, this is still a very, very efficient productive airline again when you're when you're a domestic u.s airline yeah i mean the demand environment is better uh than it is than it is elsewhere also don't forget that this growth has been very very productive growth because it's growth at dallas love field where of course they got the right to, to finally fly non-stop to anywhere in the u.s it's growth over the past years at places like reagan national new york LaGuardia, very revenue rich airports and so they funded that growth by trimming some of their least profitable markets. So they've really just reallocated capacity uh, into some very good places, and, and um, you know, they've, they've done well with it. More than capacity, uh, a bigger concern seems to be increasing labor costs, not just this quarter, but looking forward. How does Southwest's labor picture compare to other airlines? Well, you know, their pilots in particular are asking for a lot. You know, any time an airline's doing as well as Southwest is doing, its workers, you know, feel like they should they should share in, in the gains. Um, and, you know, Southwest employees are, are paid rather well. And, and I mean, they're getting a huge profit sharing, you know, at the moment, it's pilot costs are going to go up a lot. And uh, yeah, and, and I mean, that's, that's, that's going to hit the bottom line. I mean, it's, it's going to, you know, raise the labor costs in a meaningful way and put uh, pressure on these margins. They'll still be doing fine. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's already baked in the fact that, you know, they're, they're not going to keep having the labor costs that they have today going forward. That brings us to this week's dun dun existential question. Mm. Now, in the past, Seth, you've complained that the existential question is always between two miserable airlines. I'm going to break that trend today with two of the world's leading airlines. Seth, who'd you rather be? Southwest with its 20% operating margin in Q1 or Delta with its 18% operating margin in Q1? Tough one. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the short answer would be Southwest because because they have easier opportunities that that they don't seem interested in, in taking advantage of. But, you know, the bag fees, uh, you know, I know they think that for some reason, you know, bag fees work for every other airline in the world, but not Southwest. You, you know, the opportunity to assign seats, you know, I, I know they love doing what they do, but, you know, look at look at how that helped Ryanair, you know, Ryanair long resisted it. And then they sort of just dabbled in it, you know, assigning a few rows of seats and you sort of saw this light bulb go out like, oh my goodness, what have we been uh, giving up all along? There are just people who are willing to pay a lot of money for a certain seat, uh, you know, take it online travel agency distribution. You know, again, they have their reasons for not doing it. It just, you know, seems to have worked well for every other airline that sort of uh, dipped its toes in, in that water. There's just a fairly large universe of people out there who don't think to go to southwest.com. Anyway, these are all things that Southwest could do. Now, some of them are going to become easier once it has its new reservation system from Amadeus. So, you know, it, it may do some of that. But anyway, things that, you know, if you don't believe that for some reason they shouldn't do these things that have worked very well for all these other airlines, very relatively easy opportunities for them to further supercharge those already incredible margins. You know, on the other hand, you know, one thing 
is that Southwest, of course, has that very heavy domestic U.S. exposure. And right now, that's a great thing. But over the very long term, you know, broad geographic exposure is a good thing. And so you might say that in that regard, at least, you know, you'd rather be Delta or when things turn bad in the U.S. and are going great abroad uh, someday, as as they probably will, uh, this being a cyclical industry and, you know, and a cyclical global economy, you know, Delta just has more flexibility to allocate its, its, its assets, you know, its airplanes, send them to all kinds of places around the world um, in a way that uh, Southwest can't do. No question. Yeah, you're, you're right. There was usually it's uh, pick your poison. In this case, we're talking about two extraordinarily successful airlines. All right, let's move on to an airline that had a better Q1 operating margin than Southwest or Delta. Alaska Airlines, like Southwest, increased revenues and costs, and the result was a superlative 21% operating margin. Alaska doesn't seem to be too bothered by Spirit arriving in Seattle. Yeah, not too bothered by that, uh, nor, you know, Delta's continued assault there. Uh, you know, just just an airline that has done a great job of being, you know, rather well liked by its customers, but, you know, unbundling its its product very aggressively, uh, you know, an early adopter of fair families and all these kinds of things that we see you know, lots of airlines doing um, and you know, just a, just a dominant airline in a part of the U.S., that happens to have a very healthy economy right now. So, you know, it's one thing, you know, it's always good to sort of be the number one airline in, in a lot of markets, and they've always been that. But now, you know, a place like Seattle, Portland, uh, these are places that are doing very well. And so uh, they're they're in the right place. And uh, now we'll have to see, you know, assuming everything goes well and, and they do end up acquiring Virgin America, what that does to the airline. Hard, hard to imagine it would not dilute their margins somewhat. Uh, just because, well, you know, I mean, look, they're, certainly going to, uh, I should say, almost certainly going to improve things on the Virgin side. You know, when you look at Virgin's margins at the bottom of the industry and Alaska's at the top, hard to imagine that at first, at least, uh, you know, before uh, they get at least some of the synergies, that Virgin wouldn't be somewhat of a drag on at least their margins, uh, even though they, they think it'll be accretive to earnings very quickly. One reason of many that we listed for Alaska's success was its routes using the E-175. Why are these working so well? Yeah, these uh, it's 76 seaters, right? They put on those. Um, uh, yeah, they're they're uh, well, they're airplanes that you can do a lot of things with that their other small aircraft can't do. So I'm talking, uh, you know, their own Horizon unit flies Dash 8 Q400 turboprops. Uh, also with 76 seats, but of course those can only fly so far. So you know when you see Alaska going into routes like Portland Austin, you know the, the 175 is there, and 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 that's the perfect airplane. Now a 175 has higher unit cost than the 737s that Alaska flies in its mainline operation. I mean just because there's far fewer seats on it, so uh, you know even if you're talking about you know, lower labor costs and the rest of it, you know, the cost of carrying each passenger each mile is still more expensive. But when you're going into revenue rich markets, you know, like the one I just mentioned, Portland, Austin, you know, that 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 can be OK. So it's given them a lot of flexibility to, uh, you know, to expand into markets that they couldn't do with either large mainline aircraft, the 737s, just because they're too big or with the other smaller planes that they have at their disposal, turboprops, because, you know, uh, they just can't fly that far. Uh, so, yeah, it seems seems to have worked very, very well for them. SkyWest has been flying them for them. And now they're uh, looking to have Horizon itself. Horizon, of course, a unit of Alaska fly the 175s. 
Okay, we're halfway through the show, and we haven't even talked about American Airlines' 15% operating margin. Not bad at all, but not worry-free either. American is following the race to the bottom blueprint and feeling some revenue pressure. Despite growing ASMs by 4%, revenues fell by 4%. How severe is that, and where is this pressure coming from? Well, yeah, I mean, severe, yeah, I mean, like, Gosh, 15% operating margin in the first quarter, obviously, by, by almost any standard, is, is fantastic. But yeah, th- this is an airline who, among U.S. airlines anyway, changed course by actually seeing its its uh, margins erode on, on a year-over-year basis. Now, uh, some of that just has to do with fuel hedging. I mentioned earlier how, how you know Delta got the benefit on a year-over-year basis of you know just you know, losing hundreds of millions of dollars less uh, this time uh, on bad hedges than it did last time. So, you know, that, that explains some of it. But yeah, no, uh, American has some uh, some tricky exposure in particular to Latin America. You know, you uh, and I mean, look, their, their Latin American network has, has been an asset for a long time, but um, you can't be the number one U.S. airline to Latin America and, and not be severely impacted by what is going on in Brazil, especially, but also elsewhere. They've done a lot in terms of chopping capacity there, but the revenue degradation is so severe there that, uh, you know, nobody's gotten ahead of it because no matter how much you, you slashed, it was just impossible to, uh, to probably get revenues there. So, you know, so it's that, uh, certainly it's, it's Dallas Fort Worth, uh, which is not as exposed to the oil bust as Houston. The American is, of course, very exposed to everything going on across town at Dallas Love Field, Southwest's big expansion there. Uh, and all the spirit isn't growing anymore at DFW. They, uh, of course, in recent years, built up a, a sizable operation there. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, largely just worse exposure, worse geographic exposure than Delta, you know, in, in a way that you can't quickly fix. You can't reorient the whole global network away from, from Latin America uh, even though they, of course, tactically have done quite a bit there to try to prevent things from being worse than they have been. How bullish are you that American can get revenues on an upward trajectory again? Well, um, it, it's yeah, it's it's, it's going to be tricky in the in the short term because you know, well, because the industry is 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 still growing faster than demand, so that's why you see unit revenue declines. And that, that to be clear, that that's. Again, when you're growing, you you know you're you're helping your unit cost, and so you know where exactly the sweet spot is is hard to say. It's not that they're necessarily making a mistake by uh, you know by not you know cutting more, for example. Not to say they necessarily would be more profitable if they if they did that. But your question was about revenues, and um, yeah, just just looking right now, if you think back to oh last summer, last spring, last summer. Uh, the U.S. airlines, a lot of them, you know, sort of thought that they'd have their hands around the unit revenue declines by the beginning of the year, you know, by by uh, by several months ago, and you know that obviously didn't happen. They they continued declining. If that keeps happening, and if fuel costs do not continue declining, as in fact, you know, they've been they've been rising recently. Basically, Americans not going to be the only airline whose whose margins are are going to come under pressure. Uh, and you know, it was probably always unrealistic to think that that all the airlines could continue operating in this alternative universe forever where you had these uh you know these very low costs and these uh these very high revenues yeah it, it, it's it, it's going to be a little tricky for them and uh, this is one of those where uh you know jason sometimes they say you know people ask me questions about the airline industry i say well you tell me what's going to happen with fuel costs and i'll tell you you know i'll tell you everything else uh the implication being of course nobody knows in this case i would say you tell me what's going to happen in brazil you know how quickly things are going to recover there uh and, and elsewhere around the world you know and i'll tell you how quickly america revenues will recover. 
Okay, it's earnings season, so we got to keep moving. United did well again, but underperformed its peers with a 10% operating margin in Q1. That's historically very good, but last quarter, that's simply not very good. I've got a rather long-winded question here. We've talked about United's chronic underperformance before on the show, i.e. whether it's the jockey or the horse. Right now, United is getting hammered in Houston because of oil prices, and it's heavily exposed to troubled economies in Asia. Oil prices and economies are two very cyclical things. If those cyclical things swung back to be positive, what does United look like then? Well, it would be better off, uh, you know, of course, at least on the revenue side. I mean, look, if, if the oil industry were doing very well, then, you know, guess what? Fuel prices would, would, would probably be higher, too. So it's hard to say how that would, how that would net out. But yeah, if we're just talking about revenue. Sure. Yeah. If, the, if things are better in Houston, then United would be better off. If things were better in Asia, then United would be better off. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, all of that, you know, we had a few years ago what you just asked about. You know, we had a strong economy in Houston and, uh, you know, and boom, booming Asian economies. And United was uh, was also lagging its peers uh, most of the time then, as as it's done for most of post deregulation history, whether you talk before the Continental merger, after, you know, under you know different boards and different management teams, it has, you know, much more rarely than Delta or American uh, led the industry. I mean, it's had its moments, but you know, you could point to uh, long periods of time in the post-deregulation history when you know when Delta was at or near the top of the industry, when American was at or near the top of the industry. That before the mergers, after mergers, harder to do that with with United. United is to some degree making adjustments at the jockey level. Robert Milton will be the new chairman. Is that a good move? Is that a meaningful move? Well, it, it you know here you've got a, a, a serious airline guy uh, now now uh, now chairing the board again. There, the sort of the criticism was that there was, you know, that ever since Jeff Smizek left last September, you know, sort of under a cloud of the whole Port Authority alleged scandal and so forth, that the the board you know lacked direction and so forth. That was the uh, the criticism by the activist shareholders who who fought for some changes. So you know how meaningful it is. Uh, yeah, I think especially when you have a somebody who's new to the airline industry running the airline, which is the case with with Oscar Munoz, um, it, it, it's it's helpful that the uh, that that the chairman of the board is is uh, is somebody with with a lot of airline experience, as as uh, you know, Robert Milton is a former head of, of Air Canada, cert, certainly fits that bill. So uh, you know, sir, in terms of how meaningful it is, I you know, I guess I guess time will tell. But you know, you'd have to say that that it's a, a cause for optimism. Why does United's network tend to underperform in the first quarter? We mentioned that in Airline Weekly, but we didn't say why. Yeah, well, it, they have less of a uh, of a north south network where you can pick up a lot of the you know the March uh, spring break demand, uh, the you know the the Eastern Passover demand. This year, Passover, uh, it, well, it's this week, it's in April, but uh, you know very often that's that's in the first quarter. Yeah, so if you think of an airline like. Delta, or you know, of course JetBlue, that flies you know a lot between New York and Florida. United does a, a fair amount of that, but they have a little bit more of an east-west orientation that that uh, that tends to to peak in the summer, less so than before the Continental merger. I mean, United used to be almost entirely an east-west airline, less so uh, now than it was, but still more so than uh, than some of its competitors. One more U.S. airline reported last week. 
Hawaiian Airlines also saw revenue growth, and that led to an operating margin of 13%, which is pretty good in Q1. It is, yeah. They're they're doing fine. You know, they uh, haven't suffered as much from the weakness in the Japanese yen as as you might think. Uh, and there are a few reasons for that. I mean, you know, one thing is that uh, Japan. I mean, it's it's a demographic problem for the country, but they have lots of retirees, <laughs> growing ranks of retirees. Not you know. Uh, not as many young workers, but you know those people. Are, you know they, they they do have money. They like to travel abroad. Um, right now, they're not traveling as much to Europe because of what happened in Paris and Brussels. Uh, so that's actually helpful for a destination like Hawaii. Hawaii, of course, remains just a premier uh, tourist uh, destination in general. And even what I mentioned about the weak yen. You know, oh by the way, the yen the yen has been strengthening. And uh, you know, Alaska's made some product improvements. They have this. This, you know, this extra legroom seating now that they're rolling out much more widely. You know, they're starting to upgrade their their business class uh, to, a, you know, a live flat product. And just just an airline that that's doing doing a good job of, of, uh, of managing what it can has decent exposure. And if anything, you'd have to say that the uh, the Alaska Virgin America merger is probably a good thing for Hawaiian because those two airlines do compete. They both have a fair amount of capacity now that Virgin has entered the, the Hawaii market. And uh, so having one fewer competitor in that market uh, can't be a bad thing. So it certainly has to be a reason for optimism. And Allegiance plans for Hawaii never panned out. They didn't. Uh, and, and that's been very helpful for, well, for everybody else flying to, to Hawaii. But of course, for Hawaii and most of all, they, uh, you know, they went out and bought those 757s and uh, you know, really invested a lot in trying to, to make that work flying from uh, secondary cities, especially you know, up and down the West Coast, that was their plan. But also Los Angeles, places like that, to uh, to Hawaii, to Honolulu, but also to other places in Hawaii. And and it, it just turned out that for all kinds of reasons, which would be a whole other interesting show in its own right, you know that uh, that very successful Allegiant model that works, you know, flying people from you know, Des Moines to uh, Las Vegas and so forth, just just didn't work to Hawaii. Uh, and, and that was really a threat to everybody else in the market. You know, if if that just would have gone gangbusters and they would have kept expanding you know that that would have mattered um and and uh in the end it, it really withered and and uh, legion now is is looking to eventually just retire at 757 fleet they've really raised the white flag one of you know one of their few failures but one that's been been very happy news for for hawaii all right last question of the day seeing as how a good portion of u.s airlines have reported in q1 how would you say they're doing in terms of capacity discipline well, in terms of capacity discipline per se, I guess you'd have to say that as long as unit revenues continue declining, which they do uh, for the U.S. industry, that you know they're they're growing faster than demand, faster than the U.S. economy. So you know you'd have to say they're not being disciplined enough uh, if if the only goal is to uh, is to keep unit revenues up. But of course, really the goal is to be as profitable as possible. And what, what's more difficult to say is where exactly is that sweet spot where you're where you're you're maximizing your profit? Um, because again, as we talked about earlier, remember, you know, when you're growing, uh, you are having uh, you're doing good things to your unit costs. Uh, you know, you're achieving more scale and all that, even though your unit revenues might be declining. If airlines were to uh, st- suddenly start shrinking, uh, that would prop up their unit revenues. That would be good uh, on that side of the ledger, but it would also pressure their unit costs. Their unit costs would go up. To answer more specifically the unit revenues question, the capacity discipline question, really, you know, they are dialing down the growth. Just taking a look at the schedules and DO, you know, 
last year, sometimes you had quarters that were, were where the whole industry was growing, oh, upwards of five, close to six percent, that kind of thing. Now, looking at the second and third quarter, you're talking more between three and four uh, percent. So, so really not growing all that much more. Uh, than the U.S. economy, and so you know, even by that measure, yeah, they, they've they've slowed it down. Everybody's doing it to varying degrees. Southwest, in particular, is an airline that's downshifting from what has been rather rapid growth to uh, you know soon, perhaps not much growth at all, because they're going to be accelerating retirements of their uh, of their oldest 737s, the the, the classics as they take their their new maxes in the coming years. And so uh, when a giant airline like Southwest goes from growing, uh, as you said earlier, 9% last quarter, for example, you know, grow, growing rather rapidly again to you know, barely growing at all, uh, that has a, a big impact on the industry. All right. And we're just about out of capacity for this episode, at least. We'll be back next week with another installment of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Hope to see you there. I'm trying to make Duntana our catchphrase. <laughs> Everybody's going to be doing oh, it. Yeah. Boardrooms across sure. the room. Dun-dun-dun.